0: Welcome to Broad Eye, the podcast that explores knowledge gaps in ophthalmology and eye care. My name is Sean Maloney. I'm the host of this episode. And today I'm sitting with, virtually sitting with, Greg Dubecki. So, Greg, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So, Greg, you and I have a, uh, have a long history, even though we've never actually met in person. I think we met uh, through. Uh, I think it was like an uh, a forum about retinitis pigmentosa or, or an email list. If you correct me if I'm wrong, but this is about, uh, I don't know what, maybe 13 years ago, 15 years ago, something like that. That's not about right. Yeah. No, it was
1: a, it was a long time ago. Yeah. It was right yeah. after, uh, right after our son, Marty received his diagnosis. Of course I, I dove in and started to do some internet searches and your, your name came up actually. Um, I think it was um. It was something with McGill University. I don't know if it was uh, maybe the, the, the Canadian chapter of, of the foundation.
0: I can't remember okay. what it was. But, uh, I, might have, I, yeah, I might have written an article or something for them back then. But uh, anyhow, we're, we're here today. We're here now. And uh, um, so I, I think we're kindred spirits because of what you wrote in your last email um, is that you're perfect for the podcast because you have a face for radio. So I think we, think, think we share that. So uh, that's a good starting point, but um, no, so I wanted to start off hoping that you could talk a little bit about uh, your family history, I guess, and, and uh, relationship with vision loss. If you want to just share a little brief summary of that.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah, um... And I'm a, I'm a 54 year old guy, man. I just started my 55th year of life, and uh, my wife and I have been married for uh, coming up on 25 years. And um, my wife, uh, her bro- her older brother, he's uh, he's a couple years older than uh, than I am. Um, both have uh, excellent retinitis pigmentosa. So what's interesting about that is, you know, my my wife is a carrier. But the uh, the disease actually manifests itself in uh, in her. Um, but you know, it's, it was it was never uh, back in the day. It was never really a barrier to anything. And uh, you know, we went about our lives. And lo and behold, a uh, few years after we were married, we ended up having our son Marty. And uh, you know, it was a few uh, few years into his life that we we always kept in the back of our mind, Sean, that you know, there was probably a good chance that, um, you know, that, that he might inherit something similar to his, you know, his mom and his, and his uh, uncle. And, uh, and we started to notice some, some telltale signs. And at, at, at that time, there really wasn't a retinal specialist in the area uh, that we knew of that, um, that we can take him to. So we just took him to a regular ophthalmologist. And, you know, long and the short of it is we, we ended up finding somebody at the Cleveland clinic and uh, took Marty in. I think he was probably, Hmm, boy, at that time, he was probably about four years old. Um, took him, took him into a doctor at uh, the Cleveland clinic and, and he diagnosed him as, as having uh, retinitis pigmentosa. So, you know, that kind of started the charge and, uh, you know, we started to dive in and try to figure out as much as we can about this thing. And, um, yeah, that's that's how uh, that's how you and I met virtually. We still got to get together, that's for sure.
0: There you go. I think we're we're long overdue for uh, for a few dozen beers. I think so. <laughs> not all at once. Not all at once. But uh, you know, it's interesting you mentioned your wife being a carrier and the disease manifesting in her. Um, I think the stats I've seen on that are something like you know two to three percent of female uh, carriers of X-linked RP. Uh, to, at least to have it fully manifest. And I, uh, my sister's actually one as well who only found out a little bit later in life. Like I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa at the age of five. Mm. so very similar to, to Marty yeah. and uh, a couple of uncles also that have us so a very similar history there. Uh, my mom would be a carrier, but asymptomatic and my sister um, is, is affected. And until, I don't know, maybe uh, my sister would be about 35, give or take. Uh, I should know this. Uh, she's about 35. And uh, it's only about uh, eight or 10 years ago that she really started to realize that this is something that is manifesting in her. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, my family had a hard time saying, oh, no, she's just a carrier. She'll be fine. Yeah. And uh, it turns out that wasn't, uh, that wasn't entirely true. But I wanted to just dive into a little bit about having a child diagnosed so um I mean that experience in of itself so we can maybe go back to what you were saying you were diagnosed at four years old what were some of the maybe questions I guess that you and your wife had at that time or was there any direction given by the ophthalmologist at that time or you were just kind of saying hey here it is and uh, you know because you weren't I don't know I mean how old is Marty now?
1: Uh, Marty's 18.
0: 18 okay well so uh, you'd still have quite a bit of access i guess online back then to some information but i'm just curious what maybe direction you had if, if any at that time and and if not what direction we would have liked to have had
1: yeah well first of all thanks thanks for sharing your story i'm sorry to hear about your sister i know how uh, how tough that can be but uh yeah with with us our star our, our story pretty much started with marty you know we we kind of just we we Look, it, it is what it is, right? We knew uh, my brother-in-law had uh, had RP and um, and his was progressing. Paula's was not so bad. You know, she was still driving um, and even driving at night when we were married. Um, so we didn't, you know, we didn't think too much of it. We thought, all right, you know what? This is something that we're just going to have to learn to deal with, Um when Marty was diagnosed, um, that was, that was probably, well, you can imagine it was, it was about the, the worst thing that uh, one of the worst things that a parent can hear. And it was, look, we didn't, we didn't have, we didn't have the greatest experience, Sean, when, when we received Marty's diagnosis, um, it was given to us in a, you know, in a way that was matter of fact, so it was myself and Paula, my wife and her son, Marty, sitting in the examining chair and, you know, the doc telling us, you know, exactly what we kind of already knew. Um, I guess we half expected to, to be given that diagnosis, um, you know, not within uh, Marty's earshot. And, you know, look, the, the emotions got the better of us and we both, we both broke down. It was kind of a weird thing. Marty's a smart kid, even at four. And, uh, you know, we ended up having to explain ourselves away why, why mom and dad are crying while he's sitting in an examining chair, you know what I mean? Um, so we were, you know, we were a little, uh, we were a little upset about that. Um, and we got home, you know, and it was just, we had, we had the support of family and friends and all that. It was nearly immediately that we jumped in and, you know, you're right back at that time, we, we had access to the internet and, uh, you know, we started looking around and, Ended up finding Foundation Fighting Blindness and found out a little bit, uh, a little bit more about the fact that it was started by Gordon Gund, who's, you know, who's a Clelander. Um And, uh, and yeah, we, uh, we jumped right into it. There was nothing that we received. I mean, there was, it was like, look, here's your diagnosis. Uh, here's your son's diagnosis. There isn't anything that, uh, that we can do about it. Um, they, they pretty much, the doctor pretty much knew that we, we understood what having retinitis pigmentosa meant that it was going to be gradual, you know, loss of vision, starting with night vision and then peripheral vision and acuity and all that kind of stuff. Um, but but nothing, you know, we asked for resources. He said, now there's very little known about this. We don't have much, um, you know, you can do some internet searches and, and that's exactly what we did. So, yeah, we were, we felt kind of lost, you know, I, I imagine it was probably even worse for you because you're a little bit older than Marty. I know that. And, um, and you guys, I, don't, I, I think they, they knew very little about the disease at that point. Right.
0: Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm 38 uh, now. Oh my and, God. Uh, yeah. I know. I know. Just a young, <laughs> a young pup. Eh? so, but, uh, um, it's all relative. So my kids, my kids think I'm old. They tell me I'm getting some gray and I let my beard grow out a little bit. So, um, but no, yeah, exactly. I was diagnosed at five years old. It's just an eerily similar story to what you went through. Um, at that time, uh, the doctor literally, I mean, it was a very uh, well-renowned doctor and knew what he was doing, but basically examined my eyes and kind of sat back in his chair and told my parents, looked, looked at them, looked at me and said, you're going to be blind. <laughs> like, oh, okay. And, uh, you know, my mom, same, same kind of reaction, uh, crying like a little bit lost on that. And the, and the same thing, I mean, we weren't diving into the internet uh, back then, didn't have that luxury. I call it Mm -hmm. a luxury, but maybe it's not a luxury. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, there's so much information to sift through. And I think that, but I think you hit an important point, right. And I'm sure a lot of people who they themselves or a family member receive um, a diagnosis. It doesn't have to even be RP. It can be any kind of any kind of diagnosis, even outside of ophthalmology I think you're often kind of sent on your way to try to do a little digging yourself and, you know, some basic information. Sure, there's no cure, not much we can tell you. But as a, as a parent, in this case, you want to know some basic things. Like, um, like when, at what age did you really tell Marty or explain to him? And then, you know, how did that, if you remember that at all?
1: Yeah, no, you know, we, we started telling him at an early age. So, I mean, obviously at four, that's just not something that he was able to comprehend. Um, But it was, it was definitely in grade school, you know, when he, when he got a little bit, uh, he got a little bit older, you know, I'd say maybe uh, fifth grade, sixth grade, we started to have some conversations with him and, you know, we'd kneel down for prayer time at the end of the day. And, you know, he, he'd pray that he was a, he's such a unique kid, man. He would pray for other people, not himself that had retinitis pigmentosa, but other people. And so, yeah, you know, we just, we started to, you know, we, we started to kind of pave the way, um, and it was, you know, I don't mean to guide the conversation here, Sean, but, you know, it's, it's interesting when you talk about not having access to the internet, you know, and, and all the whatever information, you know, gathering whatever information you can about the, about the disease. Um, I half wonder whether or not that's, that's even better. That's one of the struggles that my wife and I have. You know, Paula's brother is, he's, he's lost pretty much all his vision. Um, so he's 50, he just turned 56. Um, I think he can see, uh, you know, some, some shadows and, and, and stuff like that. But he, you know, he doesn't navigate with a, uh, with a cane. Uh, he takes the bus to work in downtown Cleveland. Um, he works as a, uh, as a financial planner um, for a, a larger bank here in, in town. Um, and he's, you know, throughout his life, he did what I called you know, crashing through. And I half wonder, you know, whether or not that's, maybe that's, maybe that's better. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's just because he's, look, the guy's living a real full life. Um, and I, you know, we want we want to offer Marty that too, but at the same time, you know, we feel like as parents, we owe it to him to share with him um, ultimately what what can come as a result of the disease. Um, that in today's world, even today's world, it still could be a little bit difficult to to navigate. Um, and it's not like you lose your sight. You know this, right? It's not like you use you, you lose it immediately, and you're and your and your. Uh, and you're forced to adjust and, uh, or, or that you, that you don't lose, you know, you never had sight to begin with, you know, those, the human body's pretty resilient. It just reacts. It's, it's almost harder for folks that, that have a progressive loss of vision because they know what it's like to have vision and they, they know those comforts. And now all of a sudden, you know, as, as, you know, Marty and Paula and, and Wally have, you know, they, they lose their vision a little bit quicker, the older they get, they're having to adjust even, even more quickly. And, and that makes, it's, it's just, it's very difficult to navigate. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, for sure. So, I mean, do um, I've talked with other people offline before, and one of the guys I talked to who is totally blind, who is a you know, phenomenal athlete competing in the Boston marathon uh, hike Mount Kilimanjaro uh, you know, one of these, I'm going <laughs> to, nothing's going to get in my way kind of guys and pretty unique. But, uh, you know, I remember him commenting to me that going blind was actually harder than being blind. He says, once you get okay, when he's finally blind, it's like, OK, I'm totally blind. That's it. It's not like there's I'm holding on to hope that uh, that this is, uh, you know, I can stop it at this level of progression or whatnot. Um, so it's yeah, it's, it's interesting thing to think about. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. And Trying to navigate that as a as a parent and um trying to you know, help your, your kid through each stage of that and trying to understand what they're going through. Uh, I, I know firsthand, I mean, I didn't have any, I don't want to call it, you know, emotional support, but it was, I didn't really have a lot of guidance. My parents would do what they could. Yeah. Um, you know, I had to, I, I Mar- sorry, about Marty's age, probably around the grade five, grade six, you know, he would be around like 11, 12 years old. And that's when I was starting to really experience some night vision loss and peripheral vision. And I remember playing hockey and, you know, I'd have to be, I'd be the kid who have to put my head down to see the puck. Exactly. And that, uh, that didn't pan out too well for me when I was playing full contact. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was, a okay, I was an okay hockey player, but, uh, but yeah, it wasn't going to go anywhere when, when you have to you know, put your head down to see the puck. And I remember playing baseball games and and then the, e- the evening games, I'd lose sight of the ball after it got hit, if it goes in the sky and I'd have to wait until it hit the ground in the outfield <laughs> to, yeah. to go find it. And uh, obviously that wasn't really a, uh, helpful for my team but um yeah and and then i'm sure that you probably have similar similar stories there um right the so what so have you had any guidance along the way at any point in time about you know how to approach raising a child who uh, has this progressive vision loss or you as a parent have you been you know quote-unquote crashing through
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's all just, uh, whatever we can read. And then of course, when we were, when we became involved with the foundation fighting blindness, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit easier to speak to those folks that, uh, that, you know, who either are going through something similar, um, or, you know, their children are, are affected. And, um, and that would give, you know, my myself, you know, somebody to talk to and and relate to, um, but now it's, it's really just been trying to figure it out on our own. And, you know, we, we try not to, I, I think I may have mentioned, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm more of the look, just, just suck it up and and let's not to sound crass or, or insensitive or anything, but it's like, you know, look, man, we're all faced with challenges. And, and I, I try to look, I help my, my, my son as often as I can. Um, but I, I, try to, I try to simulate as close as I can, so long as Marty is safe, um, the experience that, that my brother-in-law had. Um, I'll give you an example, you know, we, uh, I'm, a, I'm a backpacker and, um, and Marty likes to go backpacking too. So, you know, we'll hit the Appalachian Trail and, uh, and I'll let him lead. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's difficult. You don't have that contrast in some parts of the trail. And, uh, and I'll let him figure it out. And, uh, and if he makes a mistake and if I need to correct him before he, you know, careens off, a, off a, uh, a ridge, you know, I'll, I'll let him know, um, try to give him some pointers as best I can. I mean, here's a sighted guy trying to give, uh, you know, a, a, a visually impaired person, some <laughs> not knowing exactly what he sees, but trying to give him some idea of, you know, feel of the terrain and, you know, using your hiking sticks and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's always in the back of my mind. Um, you know, when, when is, is letting him, um, crash through, um, safe and, and when is it not so safe? You know what I mean? So, yeah, and
0: it, it's tough to navigate. I think that, uh, just as an aside. I think I actually once upon a time read a book called crashing through that was about a guy who had lost his sight.
1: That's where I got, I, the, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Well, there I, you go. There you go
0: there you go. His name is Mike uh, something, if I remember correctly this. I don't remember the last name, but uh, yeah, there well, there you go. There you go. So I'm not out in left field on that, on that memory, but uh, you know, and again, I can, I can relate on that and uh, you know, it, it's tough and I know from my own experience, sometimes I question how much I should push myself. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we like to go running. So we, we run a half marathons together. And we did the one in uh, Vegas last, uh, it would be the 20, well, 2019, I guess, November 2019. And you're running at night on the, on the strip. There's some parts of the strip that are, are, are well lit up, but the majority of it wasn't. And, uh, you know, we said, okay, let's just figure out a way to make this work. So she put on a on a little little wedding dress because we did the run through wedding <laughs> vow renewal, which was, was a little surprise. I wasn't planning that yeah she had this it surprised me and then just she wrapped her her what, little mini wedding dress and christmas lights so yeah. i literally just like ran behind her for a couple hours on the on the in this race and you know we f- you figured out a, a way to make it work but yeah. uh there's yeah. other times where we question like okay maybe i shouldn't be doing this this might be bordering on on a safety issue here right versus just i think there's trying to find that fine line of let's push you outside of your comfort zone yeah um but not so far out that you're, you're risking any type of serious injury or anything like that. I think um, I think it's important to do that. So I think what you're doing with Marty is probably, probably good because I think that I have no from seeing family members, uh, other people I've met who've had different visual impairments that their world can just come become, become very small. Uh, that, how far they want to, go far outside of their house or their neighborhood uh, to uh, not leaving the house at all. It's, it, it gets very sad. Right. So I think that uh, push pushing a a little bit is good, but again, there's, like you said, you don't have kind of guidance on that. And it'd be nice to have something. I don't know if an ophthalmologist is the one position to do that, uh, or if there's other um, groups of individuals, like you had access to people through the foundation fighting blindness Mm-hmm. um that uh maybe the average person's not having access to but that happened because you did something about your situation as well you seem to be somebody who who uh takes life by the horns and just kind of you know does do you can do what you can with it right
1: yeah and no, um, the six kids man and i'm i'm on the run to the litter too on top of that so i'm a I'm an aggressive little guy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow, that's, that's why it serves, so, serves you it, serves you well.
1: Man. Well, like you know, I've told my, I've told my wife and, and, uh, and kids that I'm like, you know, sometimes I, I'm not necessarily sure I'm, I'm the right person to be coaching you on this because I would have gone through things a hell, hell of a lot differently than, uh, than you guys.
0: But, but it, uh, it, you know, and, and maybe like, I know we've, we've uh, been in touch and back and forth with email and talking about some of these questions that come up uh, as a parent and um, and I don't know whether there are black and white answers on on some of the things that we're bringing up here Uh, even other topics that you brought up you know when do you inform uh, the schools when do you inform coaches Uh, when do when do the kids tell their friends And it's it's tough right like I, I remember in high school we were sitting and taking notes and I just wouldn't do it because I couldn't see what the teacher was putting up on, on the, on the blackboard. I don't think they use blackboards anymore. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, in university, I would, I would skip classes in university uh, because I couldn't see what the professor's putting up on the PowerPoint They were high check at that time. Yeah. And uh, like, okay, I'm wasting my time sitting there. And, but I also had felt like too proud to, you know, take advantage of the note-taking services that the university was offering. Right. And uh, which is, you know, in hindsight, it was a little bit silly because I only hurt myself. And, uh, but yet I was very open to tell my friends and we would go to the bars and we had, they had great times with me. Um, but I have a few good stories there, but, uh, don't have I to read, dive
1: into those. I read your book, man. I know.
0: Oh uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a, that's a book. That... <laughs> little things. I think being able to laugh at yourself too. Like I, I remember uh, so many times, but I, As an aside, I was at a bar at at university and a buddy of mine says, oh, you know, you're trying to get the picture. So I'm in line to get a picture of beer and and the bar is pretty busy. And I'm, you know, I'm standing there and waiting. And uh, then he comes over to me about 10 minutes later. He says, man, what the hell are you doing? I said, man, I'm waiting in line. The line hasn't moved here at the bar. I'm waiting. It's like, it's back. He says, man, you're standing behind a post. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I thought I was, I thought I was standing behind a person, like just waiting. Right. Person. And, and, uh, so then we said he ended up buying the pitcher of beer and felt bad for me, but you know, we laughed, we laughed it off. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. I think you have to have a bit of a sense of humor in some of those, uh, um, some of those scenarios. So, um,
1: yeah.
0: I wanted to, I wanted to maybe venture into, uh, genetic testing a little bit. So when, um, so has Marty gone through genetic testing? Yeah, he has. Yeah and pros, cons of that from your opinion.
1: So, you know, uh, on a, on a, on a selfish note, um, this is, yeah, this, this is tough. I mean, these are, these are the things that you never really give thought to, you know, um, thank God I got a wife who's, who's infinitely smarter than I, um, they, uh, the kids, the kids got, uh, they got my wife's looks, they got my wife's brains. And unfortunately one of them got my wife's eyes, but, uh, They're they're still far better off. Let me tell you. Um, So we, uh, you know, on a, on a selfish side, you know, we're, we're happy that, that, um, that we were able to find out exactly what the gene mutation was. So it's excellent, linked retinitis pigmentosa. Um, you know, the science a lot better than I, um, I think we share the same, right. You, you guys, you're, you're affected by X-linked, right? Is it RPGR? The RPGR, yep,
0: yep, same thing, yep. Yeah,
1: man, there are so many, so many uh, uh, parallels in our lives. Because Marty's a runner too, by the way. Um, I never
0: said I was a good runner, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like to, I like to run because I, I like to drink beer and I need to run, to, <laughs> t- so it doesn't show. But yeah, that's a, that's about it. And, and you know, in reality, it's a it's a it's a sport that I can do quite well with my wife too. Like I'm sorry to, yeah. I don't mean to cut you off here, but you know, I played a lot of sports as a kid, a lot of team sports. And I've always wanted to, you know, remain active in my life. And as vision, you know, started, uh, started failing, started crapping out, yeah. uh, I had to migrate to some other sports. And uh, running was one that um, came very easily to me. Uh, and I can do with, you know, a friend or with my wife, uh, with my wife now a lot. Um, and uh, we just, you know, run side by side, and you're in an open space. And so even if I you know, if you're off one side or another a little bit, it's not that big a deal. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that, you know, even if Marty's vision continues to deteriorate, it's something that you can, can hold on to that, uh, running for forever really.
1: Yeah. 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 No, that's great. So, I apologize for, uh, for forcing that digression, but, uh, so, you know, the, uh, yeah, the gene therapy was interesting. You know, selfishly, we're we're glad that we did it because you know of all the science that's out there right now with with uh, with gene therapy. But um, I never really realized, you know, until my wife brought it to my attention when we when we finally received the um, uh, the results of the gene therapy. And we knew definitively, of course, that it was X-linked and that Paula was a carrier. Um, and Sean, there was you know there was really no no family history whatsoever. I mean, it's, it's really kind of odd that, uh, that everybody, at least in, in recent history, those people that we know of on my wife's side, nobody that we knew of, you know, suffered from, uh, from, from, uh, from blindness or anything like that. Um, So when, when we, when we finally got the report, you know, Paula was, I could tell that she was a little, you know, a little worried. And I, you know, I, we, we started talking about it and she said, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. I I don't know. I don't know. We have two daughters as well. Marty's Marty's in the middle. Our, our oldest is uh, 21 and, and uh, Claire and Annie is the youngest. She's 16. And um, then we're faced with the question. All right. You know, what do we, what do we tell our, our daughters? You know, we, we would hope that, you know, they're fortunate enough someday to, become married and uh and have children of their own and you know we wouldn't want that to get in the way um same thing with our with with paula's sister who you know has has not gone through gene testing or genetic testing um but very well could be a carrier um she had two daughters um and the two daughters you know we we wouldn't want to affect any decisions that that they were to make you know in the future so it was and I got to tell you, it's it sounds it, it maybe to the lay person or somebody that's that's not gone through this type of experiential learning. It 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 sounds, you know, what's the big deal? You know, well, it is a big deal, especially when you know, providing that information to somebody could change the course of their life, right? If if somebody decided not to have children because they were afraid they could pass that gene onto their onto their son or, or even their, uh, even their daughter who ultimately could become a carrier. That's, <laughs> that was terribly difficult, you know, and that, that thought never occurred to me until my, my wife, you know, explained to me her struggles. So I don't know. I don't know about you guys, if you've had the same experience or if you guys have gone through, through any of the genetic testing, um, that was kind of our experience with it all.
0: Yeah. So I think that, uh, I mean, so many somebody... So many thoughts uh, I can dive into on genetic testing here, but I mean, I think first of all the value of it, right? The value for for you, for Marty, and in my own case as well, is knowing that uh, mutation, that underly, uh, underlying mutation in the gene that's affected, could, you know, allow Marty, allow me to participate in uh, clinical trials. And Quite frankly, there's a number of clinical trials that are ongoing now for RPGR. Yep, and uh, Um, as it is one of the more common mutations in in patients with RP. But uh, so having that knowledge, being armed with that information would potentially allow uh, a patient to participate in a clinical trial, which is really the benefit of it uh, or the major benefit of it. But like you said, the drawbacks is like now you've been given powerful information that has uh, potential life-changing impacts for you know other people in in your your family circle right uh like for example my daughter is a is a carrier guaranteed i mean i only have one next chromosome to pass on to her so she's a, a carrier for sure and uh um you know my my sister being affected she doesn't know if her her daughters are she has two daughters so they have a 50 percent chance each of being um of carrying that uh, that mutation so you know uh, it's tough, right? And, and, you know, as my daughter ages and, you know, maybe she wants to become a pilot and i might, like, you know, do I, should I at that point start thinking, Hey, maybe she should be thinking about something that would be a little bit easier to do with, uh, with uh, vision loss. And, and in terms of career choices, in terms of uh, a lot of things. So, yeah, it's, it's tough, man. It's, it's, um, and again, I don't know, maybe there are people out there who, help, you know, help you help me help others navigate these conversations with with family members. Um, but there's a lot of people who don't want to know. Like, mm-hmm. I know two people uh, that come to mind that have family histories of, uh, in one case, it's Huntington's, and in another case cases, another degenerative condition. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to know, they don't want to know if if they have that um, underlying mutation, because if they do, they will be affected. Uh, most likely, as they you know get into that age bracket, I'll say fifty plus, they don't want to know, and uh, it's uh, yeah, it, it it it's tough, right? And I don't know, I don't know what the answers are on some of these scenarios, um, but I think it's important for um, researchers, for ophthalmologists, to also recognize that you know you're you're elated, hey, I you know now I know what the underlying mutation is, but there are struggles beyond that. Uh, like you said, there's the negative to that as well, right? Yeah. Well, uh, I got
1: to tell you when we, uh, so our, our saving grace and to your credit, of course, um, when you recommended that we went down to, uh, that we go down to the, um, um, uh, national institutes of health in, uh, Bethesda. Um, I don't even know if you remember doing this, but you, you, re- I don't know. I don't, know. <laughs> uh, Oh, geez. Uh, Oh man, I can't remember her name now. She was a genetic counselor there, uh, Delphine. Okay. And, uh oh, man, I can't remember her last name. She was she was really really unbelievable. Um, you know, she talked us through all the positives and uh, and you know why this is such a good thing. And then she did make mention at times of certain things we should probably be uh, be cognizant of. Um, but she was, you know, she was also a little bit guarded. Um, and that's, you know, of course, when Paula really started to, just started, started to put, uh, uh the two, uh, two or started to connect the dots a little bit, but, uh, yeah, so the genetic counselors, and then we have another one up here, a genetic counselor who's really been, uh, um, she participates in the Cleveland chapter of the foundation fighting blindness and, um, and she's been really great too. Um, just you know, good empathetic people that um, that can shoot shoot straight and tell you the truth and and help you not necessarily how to raise a kid. Um, you know, that's that's affected with a retinal degenerative disease, but uh, you know, just maybe give you some things that you can think about that that you wouldn't have come up with on your own.
0: So, no, that, that's that's fair. I think like I think everybody needs. A sounding board, right, uh, for the myriad questions that will come up, um, you know, over time. If you, if you yourself or you have a child that's affected, um, well, really by any any condition, it doesn't have to just be RP, right? Yeah. Uh, and you know, I, and I've I've had people reach out to me. I'm not a doctor, you know. I'm a, I have a research background uh in a business background but i'm not a i'm not a doctor and uh i've had a number of friends or friends of friends reach out to me asking for advice about oh what should i do uh i had one recently and then saying okay well do you know what your underlying mutation is well no okay well then maybe we should try to look at avenues for determining that because a lot of Mm -hmm. the therapies right now are gene specific Um, and just to try to provide a little bit of guidance and i don't and i know that ophthalmologists don't have the time they, they really don't to sit right. in and spend you know half an hour an hour with each patient it's just not not going to happen but it'd be nice to have some sort of I guess guidelines Right? so okay here here's what you might want to look at and maybe uh, and you, you would know better than I do uh, with the foundation of finding blindness maybe that's where they come in and help provide some of that uh, filling you know the filling in, in the gaps in information
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, uh, they're doing a lot better job at that than they have before, you know, before it was, uh, it was, um, you know, all hands on deck, let's raise money. And, uh, you know, they were pretty ambitious with what they wanted to accomplish scientifically. And, uh, and they did that. And um, they are beginning to realize, well, I shouldn't say beginning, but they've, they've come to the, come to the realization that um, folks like us, you know, need that resource out there. Um, And then part of the charge of the chapters is is really uh, an unintended consequence, of course, is, you know, you you basically create a community of of people that are going through that same experience. Right. So that's that's invaluable. Um, But then the um, then the support given to those folks that are that are now um, either just newly receiving a diagnosis or you know, maybe they're having some vision problems and they're, you know, it's, it's been difficult for them to, to accept it. And, you know, maybe haven't gone to see a doctor, don't know which doctor to go see. Um, that support network that, that the foundation provides is, is really pretty invaluable too. So um, yeah, it's all uh, all pretty tough. You know, you mentioned something about, um, about the career that's, that's, you know, what career do I go into when you're speaking about your, your daughter? And that's, that's that's tough too, you know. I know Marty thinks about that. He's um, he's a he's a bit reticent, you know, when it comes to speaking about his his uh, his vision to his friends. Although his friends know, um, they a lot of times they don't get it, just because you know he can still run, he can still you know he can still be educated, he can still read a phone, he could still read a book. Um, so they they don't you know they have a difficult time trying to figure out exactly what he can and can't see. Um, and because Marty doesn't talk a lot about that to his friends, at least, you know, from, from what I know, um, it's, I, I don't know whether or not he's having some of those conversations that I know I had with my friends, which is, you know, boy, I, I really don't know what the hell it is I want to do for a living, you know, <laughs> and, and learning from some of those kids. And then, you know, as a father and a mother, you know, trying to, you know, geez, we all want our kids to be, uh, attorneys and doctors, right? Well, You know you could be whatever the heck it is you want regardless of of any kind of other ability you have you know but it would be nice to say look these are these are careers that are a little bit more conducive to somebody that has you know a visual impairment Um, maybe you should consider those things I you know I struggle with that too it's like you know I, I really still him to be a, a rock rock star and a, and a guitarist as I, as I look at my, uh, my picture of Jimi Hendrix sitting in my office here, <laughs> which he can certainly do with a, uh, with a visual impairment, but I don't, I don't know that he's got the chops just yet, but you know what I mean? It's, it's hard as a dad to say, you know, look, you want your kids to be happy and, and you want them to, you know, define success for themselves um, be it financial success or, you know, anything else. It's just, it's so hard. It's so hard to think, you know, look, your kids need to make a living. You know, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to, to, to bestow millions on my kids. You know, they're going to have to work, unfortunately. Um, so it's hard to say, look, do something that you're, you know, that that's going to be relatively easy for you because your visual impairment Do something that's going to make you money, and make sure that you like it too, right?
0: (laughs) It's you know. So I'm going to go back to I'm going to give you some very unsolicited advice here. (laughs) So as as a non expert, but just someone who who's who's kind of been through some of what Marty is going through and will go through, um, I think that your mindset of kind of crashing through a little bit when it comes to working career is. I don't know if that's the way to go, but that's a little bit what I did, right? I mm-hmm. um, I decided when I was in, I went into university expecting, okay, I'm going to go into physiotherapy because I liked uh, science, I liked fitness, the uh, anatomy, et cetera. Yeah. And I thought, okay, as someone with a visual impairment, this is something that I can do. Uh, it's very you know touch oriented, et cetera. Yeah. And um, I started working in the therapy clinic at the university and uh, my first couple of years there, and I liked it, but I realized that I have a monkey brain, I guess. (laughs) That'd be a nice way to say like ADHD or something, right? Maybe it's not a nice way. Uh, I've never been diagnosed with ADHD, but I probably have it to some extent. And I am constantly looking for um, intellectual stimulation or that next challenge, et cetera. So probably a little bit more entrepreneurial. And uh, then I decided, you know what? I have vision loss. I like to do unique things. Why don't I try and get into research? Why not? And I get into research, and you know I had to adapt working in a, a research lab because I couldn't really do some of the um, hands-on experiments as well as I would have liked to. But I had other other skills, like you know I wrote very well, for example, and I could uh, really distill down some of the research that was there. So found that my way through doing that, and uh, uh, I ended up also launching an online company and couldn't do a lot of the work because of my vision loss. So it actually forced me to become a better entrepreneur and learn how to delegate because I didn't have a choice. Hmm. Um, and even I, I own a business now, a uh, retail business, and I can't do a lot of the hands-on work, but it actually, actually makes me a better owner because yeah. I, you know, I have to empower the people to make decisions. So those are some of the, um, I guess, positive aspects of vision loss. I hate to say they're positive aspects, but Sure. Um and another one, I mean, you said you're you read my you're in my book about my backpacking adventure after university. At that mm-hmm. time, you know, uh, the idea was, hey, get a get a summer job because you're going into a master's program and you, you know, you're gonna need some money to live on, you're moving to Montreal, get a summer job. And uh I told my parents, I said, Well, listen, um, my vision is crapping out. You know, I was 23 years old at that time mm-hmm. and I wanted to, you know, do some international travel um with friends and had the opportunity with a, a buddy of mine to just take off and go and uh <laughs> going to put on my visa card which is what i did and uh and uh and my parents helped out to, to their credit they did help to, to fund some of that but at first they're a little bit resistant saying ah no you know like and you don't see that well also and i'm going to be overseas and in in northern africa and in throughout throughout europe and mm-hmm. um and in the end they they realized okay hey so let them do this and uh uh, I was going to do it anyways. I was 23. So they just kind of had to get on, get on board with it. They could either help fund it or not. But, uh, um, you know, but because I think that if I didn't have failing vision, I probably never would have taken that trip at that time. So I would, I would tell myself, oh, I forget all the time in the world. I'll do that eventually. Yeah. And so it's forced me to um, live life fully and maybe in an accelerated way. Um, you know, t- tons of traveling, tons of uh, things that i've done in a, a relatively you know short time i like to think and just taking advantage of, of the vision that i had so um there, there are there are positive spins that can be put in these things too right
1: but yeah, what a lesson right live in the now i mean parents keep telling us that you know they've been telling us that forever live in the now don't worry about the future and yeah. you know, i think but, we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're designed to for whatever reason, whether or not it's uh, society's influences or what, you know, you're you're always for you always have to be forward thinking, right? Well, with me, I'm a worrywart, man. If I think about the future, I'm I'm it's you know, for me, it's I I, <laughs> I hate to say it, I like to think of myself as a uh, as a glass half full kind of guy, but um, I'm not wired that way, you know. I I think of the worst. I think that's what helps me with you know with my career and running our operation is. You know, I can, I can always, I can always take that. I'm not afraid to look at the bad stuff, you know? Um, I can prepare for it, but to live in the now, man, there's, there's just something to that. And I think that's exactly what you did. And, you know, boy, I, I, I see Marty going down that path, which is kind of nice. He's, you know, he's just, he's, he's a, he's such a cool kid. He's, uh, he's as cool as the other side of the pillow as I like to say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, like you said, he's uh he's a, uh... Got that from your wife, right? So, <laughs> Well, this, I want to just kind of, uh, maybe this is our last uh, closing topic to circle back a little bit to genetic testing because I know we've um, just been back and forth on that a little bit yep. and, and over time. Now, um, when, you, when you hear about, um, you know, putative therapies for RP, um, whether they be, you know, molecular therapies or genetic therapies or, you know, drug therapies of some kind, do you find it hard to digest the information? Uh, and I'll, I'll give an example, you know, a friend of mine who is um, uh, an optometrist, actually, he likes to give analogies to his patients when he's explaining their, their eye conditions to them. So when he's talking about, um, you know, they have dry eye syndrome, and he uses the analogy of, you know, think about windshield wipers. Well, sometimes, It's the, the windshield wipers are, you know, not tight against the, or or sorry, they're too tight against the windshield and they're kind of creating friction. Well, that's like your eyelid against your eye. And if you don't have enough, uh, windshield washer fluid to kind of lubricate the surface, well, then that's when you can have irritation, et cetera, et cetera. So he uses these types of analogies and, and really seems to connect with his patients. Um, do you, do you find these analogies anywhere when you're trying to understand RP, or some of the therapies that are out there? Or do you think that type of thing would be helpful?
1: Man, no, uh, that would be super helpful. You know, it's, it's, it's rare that you find the, um, the doctor with bedside manner, right? You know, they know their science really, really well, but and, and, you know, most are incredibly smart and cerebral. And I think it's difficult for a lot of them to, uh, you know, to really put it in layman's terms. For us, it was, you know, geez, the science moves so fast too. It's, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're drinking from a fire hose and, uh, and to try to make sense of the stuff is especially, you know, a lot of the gene therapy. And then I know I mentioned to you once before the, uh, the CRISPR. Um, it's like, uh, look, I, I, I'm not trained in science. I, and I'm, I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack. It's difficult for somebody like me to, to, to understand what that is it's important for me to understand what that is, especially with a child that has, um, you know, quite frankly, maybe an opportunity to, to, to take advantage of, of some of these things, but, you know, you want to be an educated consumer and, and you want to learn as much as you can um, so that you can help, especially an 18 year old son, um, help them and guide them into the right decision. We've been, it's I, you, I think you alluded to it before, Sean, it's, it's like, look, surround yourself with, with those, those people that, that can, that can help you out. Um, we're fortunate enough to have a family ophthalmologist who's, you know, who's not a retina specialist. Um, but you know, as he says, knows enough to be dangerous about uh, retinitis pigmentosis, what, <laughs> what he's learned, he's learned from Marty and Paula and, uh, and he's he's a super guy, man. He really has the ability to break that stuff down. So he's he's been a he's been a godsend for us. And then uh, and then the foundation has really just helped out. You know, I think they realize um, that the science does advance quickly, uh, that it's incredibly challenging to understand, um, but they do a very good job in in what they say and what they write uh, to help. Lay folks like us, you know, understand a little bit better. Um, you you start to see that I think a little bit in hospitals now. You know, just outside of ophthalmology. You know, I've I had to go to the hospital not too long ago, and uh, and they have um, they have liaisons. You know, they have these case managers that understand the terminology and can basically interpret what the you know what the doctor is saying. Um, so yeah, I, I think that stuff is, is super helpful. There should be a heck of a lot more out there. And, uh, I don't know, you had mentioned at one point in time that, you know, the podcast, you know, you might use the podcast as a tool for that. That'd be fantastic. I mean, you've explained (laughs) you're a, you're a scientist, right. And you've explained stuff to us that, uh, or to me, especially, um, that I never would have comprehended before, especially when you were reiterating some of the stuff that your, your buddy, Dr. Uh, is it dr
0: young uh Um, yeah yeah so michael young he's the retinal stem cell uh, researcher at harvard yeah
1: yeah one of the conversations we had i you know it was it was incredibly helpful so
0: yeah no and that and and that's great I, i think you you know you as you alluded to there or directly mentioned you know the idea behind this podcast is is really that is i think that like many domains ophthalmology and eye care exists you know, largely in silos. Uh, You have the doctors, you have people who work in uh, industry, you have the, you know, people who work with the foundations that are fundraising or, or people providing mobility and low vision training and AIDS. You have the patients, you have the researchers. Uh, You know, it's amazing. Sometimes just the researchers and clinicians are not on the same page about things. Um, They don't understand each other's needs. And then, and nobody has time to listen to the patients and it's not, you know, I can't fault the doctors for it. I have a lot of friends who are, are clinicians and, you know, they can see a hundred patients in a day, like, you know, and, but you as a patient, you can imagine if, oh, you're waiting to see this specialist for four months and you get to drive two hours to get there. Then you're waiting in the waiting room. And then doctor gives you three minutes of you're there is time. You're like, man, that guy's a jerk. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. You know, he's trying to rip through a hundred patients and, mm-hmm. and sometimes they come across as not having bedside manner. Some certainly don't. Uh, but there are, there are many who do, and they just are not afforded the time to, to, um, to do that. Right. So yeah, definitely. I think that the the goal of the podcast is exactly that is to basically have conversations like you and I are having today with the various um, stakeholders or, or, uh, and entities in the space. I'm fortunate enough to be a, jack of all trades in this area and master of none. So, you know, I have, I have a research background in, in ocular pathology and I, um, I have a lot of friends who are doctors. I'm not a doctor, but I've got a lot of a lot of contacts in that space. I've done uh, fundraising and keynote speeches for fundraising events and, in, in I care I've done, you know, orientation, mobility training. I um, even started a little foundation called student vision Canada uh, back mm-hmm. in the day that was helping fund, uh, raising funds to um, support students in vision research. We've uh, got a kind of number of contacts and friends in in industry as well, so I'm, I'm well positioned, I think, to have a lot of these conversations. Yeah. But it's it's the guests that I, I bring on that are going to be the the uh, the bread and butter of, of the conversations, I guess. You know, um, yeah,
1: You know, what I was going to so- say, Sean. Ane- anecdotally, I can. It, it's the medical community is is starting to realize that. Um, and, and here's the reason why. So, AGTC is is one of the uh, one of the small uh, pharmaceutical companies that has a uh, excellent therapy, gene therapy in clinical trials right now. And we've been in contact with them, and they did something that was, you know, above and beyond what the other two that I know of. Um, have done, and they had a. Um, they contacted us and surveyed us to find out what it is um, potential uh, families that are affected with this, and and potential candidates for for the for the uh, for the clinical trial. What is it that would make your experience better? You know, so kind of taking that human approach and. Um, and understanding, hearing the voice of the, of the patient and the families. Um, that was, that was pretty, uh, I was pretty impressed with that. I'd love to
0: see a lot more of that. Uh, and that, that's, uh, for sure. For sure. I think that's, uh, it's, I feel like we're going that direction in general, right? It, it's, it's maybe slow, but, uh, and then having resources to, to, uh, to put all these things in motion, but no, that's, uh, that's definitely interesting. So Greg, listen, I have taken a lot of your time and I certainly, uh, appreciate you, uh, joining me on, on the podcast. We'll have to do a round two at some point. Um, I think we can probably talk for, for hours, maybe at some point when this, uh, yeah. pandemic, uh, comes to, a uh, come by uh, winds down, we can do this, uh, live over, uh, over a pint or two. That'd be kind of, uh, a nice twist on things so
1: <laughs> we can we can do it virtually over a pint or two also <laughs> what
0: that that's that that's fair that, in the mean, in the meantime right so that the pints don't have to wait so uh, hey, I, was,
1: I was ready to say at the beginning sean hey it's one it's got to be five somewhere right
0: <laughs> fair, fair fair and yeah i got my kids coming home off the bus there shortly so i need to be in the uh, in a, yeah. a good state of parenting. So, but, but, and which usually is involves a glass or two, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, <laughs> the red, red, one. red rind is good for your eyes. You know, that's actually funny. Uh, I think a, a good episode then to dive into, I don't know what your thoughts are, um, would be to talk a little bit about, um, you know, diet and, and health sure. and some of the, uh, the, um, the information that's peddled out there. Some of it's maybe valuable, some of it's not. So, yeah. Uh,
1: Hey, anyway, I'll keep easy. I'll
0: keep bouncing ideas off of you. Uh you seem to be full of uh full of suggestions. So
1: all right, man. Yeah, I'm keeping that running list, so I'll let you know.
0: Perfect. Greg, thanks so much for joining me. All right, Sean. Thanks, buddy.